You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Welcome to the Stateside Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Roscoe, and I'm here with Kevin Ragusa. He's an A&R at Revival Recordings. Great guy. Good buddy. And yeah, we're going to chat. How you doing, Kevin? I'm doing great. How are you? Pretty good. Yeah. I was just telling you before we got on here that it, we just uh, just moved into a new Nashville office, and we were reckoning with the woes of <laughs> moving into an office. And I mean, the reason my background's blurred right now is because there's nothing on the walls and I don't want to look like I'm some sort of, you know, terrifying sociopath who doesn't like right. decorations. That's okay. I've got my background is blurred too. And I just have trees in the background cause I'm, I'm outside, but Hell yeah. yeah, so it's, you know, it's slightly different, but I, I get it. You don't want to come across like, you know, you're someone who's uh, just loves a nice blank wall. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So speaking of outside, where are you talking to us from? So I live in Durham, North Carolina. Durham is pretty central in the state, and the label is mainly based out of Wake Forest, North Carolina, which is really just a suburb of Raleigh. The main center of it is about 30 minutes from where I live, but I've, I've lived in Durham since I moved to North Carolina in um, 2005, so it's oh, just wow. kind of always been where I've been. Yeah, yeah, and it's cool. Like We don't have, we've gone back and forth, like we've had some office space before, mm-hmm. and then we just met up at different places we've kind of gone back and forth right now i think with everyone just being remote we have people in um chicago and boston and i think we have one person in nashville and just people kind of being all over the place it it doesn't make a ton of sense for a label of our size to you know have a have a a big office if there would just be like the three or four of us coming in every day so totally mostly just meet at coffee shops and you know or do this do the zoom thing and and talk to people it's cool like it's been working and i like it because you know it's obviously cost effective for us you know again small label you want to try to you know save money wherever you wherever you can but obviously yeah i mean any time you could be in an office it'd be nice it'd be great totally so maybe that's the goal eventually yeah but i mean at the same time with you know like you were saying with a label of your size not not a major label right i think there's probably a lot of benefit from being spread out throughout the country and not having to fly everywhere to be everywhere you have right. someone in a lot of different places it's particularly really nice like having courtney who's up in boston you know sometimes there'll be some shows and stuff that come through boston area maybe there's a band that i'm like checking out or i'm interested in um and she can go you know and i tr- totally trust her and or same with casey who's over in chicago or whoever so it's nice to have people in some different cities and also they're just picking up on different things maybe than i am just being here uh i mean we get a lot of stuff that comes through here but certainly not like chicago or new york or boston or whatever so it's cool and they, they just have a different they have a different feel for it than i do too and that's one of the things i really like is I, i'm an older guy um they're younger and I love picking their brains on stuff that's going on now 
and and using what they're seeing out there to kind of help inform me because you know like i'm i I like to think that I'm, I'm, I'm pretty on it and I'm pretty with it, but I'm still, you know, like I'm still, I'm not 25 anymore. So it's nice to leverage those people and just what they're seeing, because that's, those are the people we're trying to talk to. Totally. Well, as a 25 year old in the music industry, it's nice to be leveraged. It feels, it feels great. You know, when when people actually want to hear what I think, that's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. I think there's a lot. I mean, I think one of the things in the industry I think I think this goes beyond just this industry, honestly. Uh, just really in anything, I think there's a lot of people. Experience is super important. Don't do not get me wrong. You learn a ton, but especially when your audience is people of an age that you are not necessarily a part of. You remember being a part of it, but it's been it's very different. The music industry and the scene I was growing up in when I was 25 is very different from what is happening now. And while I've watched that and I've been involved in it, still my perspective is of a person who did it a different way and is now in his forties. So I like to leverage and ask questions of people who are in it at, at at this different age, because there is a lot, honestly, that's common. There's a lot that crosses over, but there's a lot of things that's just, that's just slightly different and just, just informs my thinking enough that it's really interesting. I just enjoy that kind of experience anyway. So I'm just kind of drawn to it, just kind of learning about what other people's experiences are like, especially within music scenes. So I guess I'm kind of fascinated. So it lends myself to ask, ask about it totally. more often, but yeah, it's, it's cool. Like it's really, it's very different, but it's very interesting. And I, I'm, I'm really fascinated by the differences of, of the age groups for sure. And their experience with music, live music in particular. So with that said, what do you think the best, you know, for, for a young person who's listening to this, this show mm-hmm. right now, and they might be, you know, have interest in getting the music industry or have a little bit of experience and they want to, to tap in and go deeper. What do you think the biggest value someone in that position can, can bring to someone like, like you or revival or the industry as a whole? Yeah, I think, well, part of it, it's, it's not that, not to say that it's hard to answer, but part of it does depend a little bit on if the person you're working with, how open they are to giving you that opportunity and that experience. So as I, I do think there are probably people in the industry who don't really want to hear from people who are younger. And and maybe maybe there's a lot of right in that because their experience has taught them that that's the way to go. And experience, again, is like something you can't replace. So I, I highly value it. It's not that I'm saying I don't. But I think the biggest thing is people at labels, smaller labels, we we have finite resources, um, both in terms of money and in terms of manpower. So we're always looking to leverage people, talent, um, people that want to help. And so I think anyone that is humble enough to be like, I want to do something, it may not be a super sexy industry job, but if I go in and I do it and I do it well, typically uh, the opportunities keep coming. That That's always been my experience is people who are self-starters, who are just willing to kind of get in there, not to necessarily do grunt work and, and not to just be like someone that gets, you know, shit on for eight hours a day. It's not what I'm talking about, but helping to do some of those things that are for, for labels to just because of time. Um, I think being able to fill in those things, I think being able to bring something to the table in terms of, especially around social and around having impact and being able to watch trends on social, understand social, understand in particular music on social and how that works. Um, 
and and those those are things that are huge value adds that someone like myself who didn't grow up with TikTok, sure, I know how to use it. I didn't grow up with it. It's not part of my life experience as a 20-year-old in the industry or or as a music fan. So I can learn a lot from someone like that. But I think it's not so much that it's a lot of it is drive, a lot of it is self-starter, a lot of it is willing to take the risk and just reach out to some people and be like, I want to do this. A lot of it is follow-through. And a lot of it is not necessarily asking, like I'm not a big person on asking about for permission. I think it's important to, you know, if you have a really good idea, I think it's important to pursue that. And I I try really hard to support the younger people on the staff in that way. But I think it's all of those. There's there's I don't know, you can go to school and you can learn a lot of things. Uh, one thing you can't learn is work ethic. One thing you can't learn is drive and follow through. And so those are those are the things that are differentiators to me. And I and I honestly think like I also work at Duke University, and that's been a differentiator that I've seen too, just at Duke. Like people who are self-starters and differentiators, there's a lot of people with big degrees that I'm walking around with, but it separates people. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd say another thing that school doesn't teach you that I found really valuable in my life is people skills and how to make a friend in a way that's good for business, but not gross. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Connections, relationships, all those types of things. And I think the relationship thing comes from, I think actually being interested in other people. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like not just like, Hey, I can leverage this person to get someplace, but like, I'm actually interested in what this person's doing and where this person's like career is going and and what they're trying to do. And I'm interested in that and, and whether or not anything ever comes of it is secondary. That's the best. Absolutely. Yeah. Just like, you know, checking in and having conversations that have nothing to do with what you're looking for. Just, Hey, how are you doing? How did this thing go or whatever? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Who do you like, especially around music? Like, what are you listening to that is making you, feel excited like what's actually getting you excited what are the things that are you feel like uh you're passionate about? like i'm always interested in those things tell me about the things that are that are like you know oh man you've got to check this thing out this is the thing this is this is like this is crazy or this is fun or this is different or interesting that's what i'm looking for all the time totally yeah well awesome so honestly i had a bunch of little like intro starter questions that i wanted to talk about but then we just got into such a great little flow there that i didn't (laughs) want to interrupt it so now i'll do yeah now i'll do what we typically do at the beginning so can you give i think you you sort of have done this in with context a little bit but could you give a quick elevator pitch on who you are what you do how you got involved with revival etc yeah so Obviously, Kevin Ragusa, VP of AR at Revival. I think it means AR means a lot of things at a lot of different labels. And it means something slightly different for me at Revival because I also have other things that I'm working on and I'm not solely dedicated to Revival only. So, and what I mean by that is like I have, I work at Duke at the same time. So I'm a little bit, where, where a lot of A&Rs on a small label would be involved in every single label project that happens, I'm involved in certain ones because that's that's what I can do. But I think the biggest thing that's the common part of my job with maybe some other people that do A&R is obviously my job is to help find artists that are interested in working with us. And there's like a symbiotic relationship. 
it's also obviously connecting with people in the industry, whether it's like I'm talking to you, you know, about producers or things like that to see if we can, you know, get it, get abandoned with a certain producer and things like that. But then it's also being the person who's trying to help build relationships with artists and make them feel like they have a place here and make them feel like this is a good place for them. And totally. And when you, when you say that, do you mean, artists that you are currently, you know, pursuing or are on like the ones to watch list? Or do you mean artists that are already signed or both? I think both. I mean, I think definitely I'm the artists that are on the label. It's important to me that they feel like they have a place and that this is a place where they want to be. And and whether or not that means that that's what they want to do long term or if they want to go on. I I never have any issue with bands who want to start here and then move on to another label that has, you know, more purchasing power or or more whatever. That I always view that as a success. But I think for the bands that are that I'm looking at, I think it's about being upfront with them about what it's like to be an artist here as opposed to maybe somewhere else. And I always take a really upfront and honest approach on that because bands are going to find out anyway what it's like being here. And it's either going to be a good match and our goals are going to align and those types of things or they're, or they're not. And I'd rather find that out upfront. And I, I, I can absolutely say that I've lost, I've definitely lost artists because of that approach for sure but i feel like in the, in the end it was probably better for, for us and it was probably better for them too that they get what they're looking for because that's what i mean when it works it's awesome i love i love this industry when it works and when it doesn't it can be really painful i'm always looking for for the thing that works and the only way i found for that to really happen is just by this is what it is to be here this is how it's the same as some places this is how it's different this is what you can expect and the people who are like, yeah, that sounds great. That's when it works. Totally. Yeah. I mean, something that uh, that we say all the time is we have to listen to the music gods. And when right. they speak, listen to them. And yes. sometimes they say, you two people have to work together, whether that's, you know, like us and you or us and a producer, you and a band, whatever. Um, but sometimes they say, hey, this, this is not this is not right. And everyone's going to leave feeling bad about this. And, right. you know, I'd rather absolutely like i'd rather let them go find what works for them and me go find what works for me and still be friends rather than try it for six months we all feel gross about it and then there's <laughs> there's weird feelings at the end like that's just not i don't see how that that contributes to any sort of long-term sustainability and i think just being honest about not necessarily like what what is going to work and what's not but just saying like hey i don't I've had this conversation with numerous bands where I've just said, I just don't think we're the right fit for you. I think what you're looking for at this stage in your career is different than what we're providing or what we feel like we really do well. And like I said, we've, we've definitely lost artists and artists who have done really well, who have been really successful. And it's been, it's hard. It's like you watch these bands be really successful, knowing that maybe you had a shot at them or maybe you had some conversations early on. It's hard, like knowing that, okay, it's great to see their success. You're also like, dang, that would have been cool. But then you always remember like, well, it wasn't a good match. They probably wouldn't be where they are in, in this room. So it's, it's worked out positively. And I'm always interested. I always love seeing people, especially in music, because it's really hard. I mean, let's just be honest. This is not for the faint of heart. This is a hard industry. There's a lot of noise. It's really hard to be in here. So I love it when I see people, especially people I've met along the way, who have been successful 
even if success here, success wherever, that is so satisfying to me just to watch. And hopefully I have some sort of relationship with them where I can email them and be like, I'm so excited for you that this is happening for you. Because I remember you talking to me two years ago and you were like, these are my goals. And now you're you're knocking them all off. That's a really awesome experience to to be a part of, even if you're not working with someone directly. Yeah. And um, so what you've talked a lot about what the types of artists and the situations that haven't worked out, but what is a type of artist that is, is a really good fit for you? And what are you looking for? What kind of artist gets you excited right now? Yeah, it's hard. It's, so it's hard to say from, from like a music style, because I really do. I know it's so generic. People say, Oh, I love all kinds of music, obviously like within this, the, the subgenre, but I think we really try hard as a label to not have what, what I consider to be a house sound um, where we're, you know, every single band that we have on the label sounds like every single other band. And I think that's reflective of of the different music tastes of the staff. I think the bands that have been successful here have a couple of things in common. And I'm not even going to talk about stuff like the music and all of those things, because those are sort of givens. Bands that typically are successful have something going musically and or in how they can market themselves to separate themselves. So I, I almost feel like that's a given. But the, the bands that I found have done really well, they all share the same characteristics in terms of being very focused on having a vision for themselves, being able to articulate that vision, and then being able to determine in chunks the steps to which they feel like they can achieve that vision. So it's it's almost like they can have, they can see things from 30,000 feet and then they can see things from 10 feet. Totally. And they're able to execute at both levels. And that's like, again, in partnership with us, but having that central vision of what they really want to do can help us then provide structure around that. And that's really helpful. Totally. I think the other types of bands that do really well are bands who are, and again, this kind of goes on with what I just said, but bands who are really good communicators just in general, the things that they are having a struggle with the things where they're having a success, the things where they feel like things could be improved, either in a relationship or or in their music. Um, and again, can articulate that in a way that's constructive. Those bands are successful. Um, and then I think the last one is, it's almost like, this is kind of unfair to put this on people, but I've seen this a, a bunch of times with bands who have been really successful are bands who are really focused on their plan a which is their plan a being their band they may have a plan b but they never really talk about their plan b and they're really only focused on plan a it's almost like they're not willing to uh fail on plan a and that level of focus and determination i think is also what sets people apart i think in music you get a lot of people who are 70 percent of the way in because they're 24, they've got, you know, maybe they're married, they've got mortgage, they have some of these things that they have going on. And I'm not saying that people shouldn't do that. You can do that and still go after plan A, because we have artists on the label who they're married, and they are still going after plan A and still being able to pay mortgage and do those things. But the, their vision is always on this main one. They're not like one foot in, one foot out. Those are the things that I've seen here that really well and then you add in like hardworking, loves to play shows loves to tour great music collaborates really well with other that's how you really take the step up absolutely it's um 
it's incredibly, and this doesn't really surprise me, but it's incredibly similar how, or incredibly interesting how similar what you're looking for in a band and what I'm looking for in a producer is. Yeah. You know, yeah. like really all you do is you change they to, well, they, I guess. Uh, right. It's just, it's just <laughs> right. the singular they in that case. Exactly. And, um, exactly. Yeah. yeah. You're just looking for one person instead of maybe a, a, a group of, of five people or four people totally. or whatever. And yeah. I think the only thing I'd add to that is like someone who I gen genuinely want to spend time with. Yeah. Because I, I mean, especially from the management side of things, I'm not, Yeah. I don't know how true this is for the label side, but I imagine for a label like yours, it's probably more true than an Atlantic yeah. or a capital. You know, I talk to these people every day. I need yes. to like them. If I don't, yes. it's going to be very hard to root for them and, and do my best work. Yeah. No, it de definitely a label our size. I think definitely having a good relationship um, with them and, and just kind of understanding them as people and what they're going through and what they have going on, on in their personal lives. So if, a, if someone in a band is, is going through a situation where maybe they can't focus on music for right this moment because they have a couple things going on, understanding that and just kind of being a human around that is, a, is important. So I think having that relationship where they can feel okay to call you and be like, hey, man, I know I'm supposed to be doing this thing. Right now, I've got these couple things. Can we kind of talk this out? How we can keep my band on track, but not fall off the face of the earth, not disappoint people, keep everything going well. And anyone who approaches me in that way, I mean, is always going to get my absolute best foot forward. I mean, they're basically saying, like, let's figure out a way to make this work. I'm very like solution oriented. Like that's always my thing. I don't really care. Like if, if a mistake happens or something bad happens, I'm never really that interested in looking. It's good to look back and learn, but I'm never interested at the moment at doing that. I'm very much like, okay, well, what are we, what are we going to do? What are we going to do now to move forward? And then like a couple months, we'll figure this out. The we'll, we'll revisit this and figure out how we can do it better. But right now let's just, let's just focus on what the answer is. Absolutely. And that approach that that you just described there also shows respect from yeah. from them to you or the company or the craft whatever you want to whatever you want to call it but and that i think that respect is something that it takes cuz yeah it's way too small of an industry to be arrogant and i mean people do it but oh yeah it, people talk too people definitely talk and i think that's I mean, people are going to talk and I think that's fine. I think it's a function of it. But I also think at the same time, I try really, really hard to not be someone that is out there unless someone directly asks me about my experience working with somebody and they really want to know. And it, let's say I've had a negative experience. I may tell them, but I, I go really try to go out of my way to not cut down other people in this industry. And it's not for my own good or to make me look like a saint or do anything. But th again, this is a hard industry to work in. Sometimes people are driven by different things at different times, where maybe they feel like they need to do certain things at certain times. And maybe in the they may look back and be like, ah, that wasn't the right, the best thing to do. And so I try really hard not to take that personally or hold that against somebody, or in certainly to go and then share that with other people in the industry. Like, and that person may have just been having a bad day. That person may just be really super frustrated by something and the, the way it came out was this way and now they're really mad. Like, yeah. They may have I'm had not a really bad experience with three people who have the same role as you, and yeah. they just assume that everyone who does your job sucks. And, right. Yeah. And what do you get? I don't know. Like, what do you get personally out of 
walking around to other people in the industry being like, this person's trash. Like, what do you really get out of that? Like, are you... <laughs> the same thing you get out of gossiping in high school? Right, right. And <laughs> no. I, think that's what, I think that's one of the things that's great, though, about age is when you're at a point where, like myself, I, I'm married, I have kids, I have uh, a profession, I have two professions, I'm involved in all these things. I don't have time to worry about you know, gossiping about somebody or, or even worrying. Like it, it doesn't even come to my mind because I've got a full plate, you know? And so I wish there was more of that. I really do. Cause there's definitely have been conversations where people have come to me and they've like said some things about people and I'm just kind of like, yeah, it's frustrating. Um, and, unless you've got like a really good, uh, you know, a very distinct experience that really does talk to somebody's character. I think it's hard to, to judge somebody on a, on an interaction. Of course, I mean, there are genuinely bad people in this world and in this industry. <laughs> yeah. And, and in, you in know, this industry, absolutely. And sometimes it is a matter of safety to talk about yes. it. But, you know, <laughs> right. that is not what we're talking yeah. about right not now. What we're, ta um, we're talking about like petty, yeah. petty stuff. That's, yeah. No, the, the things where people are like, yeah, like you said, if people are in danger, people are could get potentially hurt. People, you know, it's it's financially could end somebody's life you know those yeah those are real things and they should be talked about and they should be gossiped about but the the petty stuff of like oh you know what i don't even know what an example would be uh, this person didn't call me back this person uh, he responded to my email in a snarky way like, yeah big yeah. league me whatever yeah. I, yeah it's whatever i don't know find something else to do i don't know absolutely <laughs> like you're, i'm sure you're just as busy as we are and if that's the yeah. case you should be working right now <laughs> right <laughs> yes exactly exactly well in your career in the music industry have you always been on the label side of things no so i should back up a little bit i guess to my youth so when i when i was between the ages of like 18 and 24 ish i used to play in bands nothing that ever really took off but stuff that played regionally and i like toured the east coast and did stuff like that and that was kind of how i met some people learned a little bit about what just what it's like to be in a band i think that that's a really at least for my role i found it really beneficial because i can empathize with what bands are going through i understand what it's like to play to six people i know what it's like to sleep on a floor i know what it's like to not get paid i know i've like i've, I've experienced all of those things i know what it's like to have a guy hold you up at gunpoint when you're like trying to leave a venue like i've i've, I've seen all of those things i've lived them so that i feel like i can empathize and, and relate with artists and then after when i moved down here there's actually a small independent uh music distributor called red eye um they distribute some stuff for like uh domino and they have a lot of labels and it's changed a lot since since i was there but basically i was doing uh, retail marketing so this was like you know mid 2000s 2005 2006 where we were still selling cds we were still putting cds in stores and so i was basically in charge of taking new releases and selling in them to uh indie stores so and i had certain like regions like i did stuff in virginia and some stuff in north carolina and i had some stores in florida and stuff like that so it's just basically trying to get the artists we were distributing into these stores. Sure. Um, and I did that for about three, three years. And I kind of got burned out by it, to be honest. It was just, it was really intense. It was a great place to work. And everyone there is awesome. I think personally, I was like, I just got married. We were starting to think about having kids. I was kind of like, what is my, what does my future role look like? So I broke off and I was doing stuff more in branding and graphic design and agency work. And so I did that for the next couple of years before I, I ended up 
at Duke where I do fundraising now, which I just love. So I do fundraising for the health system. But on the industry side, there's been a little bit of like meandering. And I've always kind of tried to keep a foot in it because I like it. But I like my relationship with it right now, which is I do it because it's a passion and it's a joy for me. I don't do it because I'm chasing a paycheck or I'm chasing some clout or I'm chasing anything with it. I do it just because I really enjoy it and I like the people that I work with. And so it allows me to have a totally different relationship with the industry and with music in general that I think keeps me very sane. And I I love that relationship that I have with it right now. Awesome. You know, you've you've seen a lot of the distribution of recorded music side of yeah. things. Yes. Um, so I and I'd love to talk a little bit about the time when you were doing the um, the sales to indie stores and stuff, because that's what, two or three years after iTunes came out and started being a thing. Yeah. And was that was that something that was scary? Was it were you even worried about it at the time? It was weird. It was I wasn't. I think because I was kind of insulated in some ways. We had someone on our team that was very much working on iTunes. Actually, he lives in Nashville, Jim Legrando. I don't know if you've ever run into him before, but he's out there. He still does music stuff. Shout out to Jim Legrando. Cool guy. I haven't seen him in a while. Anyway, if you see him around, tell myself what's up. Will do. Um, <laughs> but he was doing a lot of stuff in, in iTunes uh, at the time. And uh, I was so insulated, I think, in my role and my position. In particular, everyone that I was talking to every day were people that owned independent record stores. And so they may have been feeling potentially more anxiety than I was, but it was almost like it hadn't hit that point yet where it really felt like it was moving because I was still distributing a ton of stuff out to stores. Like we were getting stuff out. People were, they, you know, the stores weren't, closing we were actually bringing on more and more stores it seemed like there was kind of this uh little bit of a renaissance of the independent record store at that time just because vinyl was starting its ascension a little bit yeah so was it sort of Uh, like january of 2020 (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) right exactly exactly it was it it was a good so I, i was i felt so insulated and i don't think honestly at that age and what I was doing that I was even like, not that say I wasn't aware of it, but I was like, I was, I was naive to it. Like, it was almost like I was naive to the change because I just didn't pay attention. It was really bizarre. It's very, it's a very non-industry way mm. to look at it. And maybe more of like a, uh, I just buy music and this is how I buy music. And so that's the only thing that matters. Focus group of one opinion. Sure. Okay. Okay. I was I was going to ask like, is it is it because you you felt that way, or is it because you were like, well, whatever, I'll just adapt. I'm young. I can yeah. do whatever I want. Um, well, that that is part of it too. I think knowing that at any time thing things are going to change, and so feeling confident that you'll be able to shift, I think is is part of maybe why I didn't uh, worry about it. But I think a lot of it too is being naive about how radical of a shift it really would be. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and interesting, interestingly enough, I was talking to someone not about this, but about I was recording a different podcast yesterday. Uh And he brought up that the modern recorded recorded music industry is really only 60 or 70 years old. And there have been volatile technology changes every decade. 
Constantly. And it's, yeah. it's not going to change. And right. I'm sure if I knew enough about other industries, that's probably the same for most other industries too. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, compared to the sharing of information industry, whatever you want to call that, media, news, whatever, you know, we're very young thing. We haven't existed since the printing press and whatever right. that was made. <laughs> and um, even now, like with whatever comes after TikTok, because TikTok's uh-huh. not where it's going to stop. It right. will, it will move on. You know, nothing like that lives forever. That'll shake everything up again. And yep. hopefully it does it in a way that is semi-ethical. And yeah. I think the biggest thing that's hard for bands, and, I'm, and this again is another thing I'm empathetic, being, a, being an artist now is so much different than being an artist when, when I was playing. Um, the, the, as far as what is expected of you to do to be considered legitimate. Like you not only have to make music, you not only have to play shows, you not only have to play your bills. Also, you have to have a persona. You have to, and not to say that we didn't have to have persona back then, but it's even more so because it's surfaced and available to everyone. You've got to be able to create on demand all the times something that is not necessarily music. You have to be willing to put yourself out there. You have to be willing to give up so much of yourself to even just be relevant in a small way. I'm not even talking about people who are relevant like across the board, like an Ed Sheeran or something like that. Absolutely. We're talking about being relevant at this level. Totally. Well, the mega artists have a team to yes. <laughs> to do so many of those things for them. And, you know, like these smaller burgeoning artists that might make the coolest music you've ever heard, if they, I mean, I, the one thing that you didn't mention in there too is, not only all of that, but they also, if they want to be able to afford it, they have to learn how to do completely other art, completely different art forms. Like maybe yes. they're making their own album art and they have to learn graphic design or, yep. I mean, I know quite a few bands who shoot their own music videos and they look Absolutely. really great. There's a ton now. of that. Um, yeah. You know, there's a lot of people who are self-producing or producing their album 75% of the way and then taking it to a pro to finish it up. And Yep, Exactly if we expect bands to be able to be these multifaceted artists that also can afford to pay everyone for everything all the time, like how yeah. are they still going to pay their bills and keep their children alive? Right. Yes. We've like, essentially the bands at the top have set unrealistic expectations <laughs> for bands at the bottom. I mean, that's really yep. what's happened. It's Absolutely. like, cause, cause we'll look at, let's say I'm talking to bands. I'll say, the problem is not that I want you to do this because I get it. I, if I was a, in a band, I wouldn't want to be spending all my time on Instagram and TikTok and doing whatever. I trust me, I'm with you. I go. The problem is the people that you aspire to be are doing it. But now, they're obviously, like you said, they're getting help. But we're 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 having this conversation at this level that they're doing it, and they have now set the expectation in the fan base that you want to to take a piece of that. This is what. I get from a band. Absolutely. And yeah, it's hard. And I, and I think that's one of the hardest conversations I've had with bands over the last couple of years has just been the burnout factor of that is so high. The keeping up, the trying to stay relevant, the second guessing about what you're creating, the I'm not good at this. I'm only really good at this conversation. The uh, like, I hate this. This is bad for my mental health conversation. All of these things, the burnout factor is really, really high out there. Um, and I do worry, honestly, about my bands and artists. 
about that because I get I completely understand as someone who's like one of the worst Instagram follows ever. I think I post something <laughs> like once a year. So like I'm I'm there. I get it. It it really is like completely understandable. And to be clear, not the bands at the top's fault. No. Either. Um it is it is no one's fault. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're leveraging the technology. They're doing exactly what any successful business in any industry would do. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm not begrudging them. Yeah, of it's course. Just, it's just it's just tough that it's that the standard has been set and people are now expecting it. And again, I'm not saying it's right, wrong, otherwise. I'm not gonna make any value judgments on that outside of the value judgment that I just worry about how sustainable it is for so many bands. Absolutely. And also, especially with social media, when they're on social media and they see people who are at a similar or, you know, even maybe slightly lower level than they are doing the things that they're struggling with, that's really hard to reckon with. But for all they know, that band did those things. That was the first time they've done them. You know, yeah, and right. it's just that's what social media does. It's so unrealistic in so many yes. ways, and it's—I mean, I call it a necessary evil all the time. Yeah, I yeah. am not. I'm. I'm also a terrible Instagram follow. I actually posted <laughs> my. I posted my yearly post this morning. Uh, yeah, there you go. Good, good. Got your you know. one in. That's good. Maybe I'll get mine in later today. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's not an easy road. And anyone who thinks that in this day and age, it's or ever really, it has been easy to be a professional musician. I don't know what, (laughs) what Pixar movie made you think that, but (laughs) no, because there's definitely certain advantages. Like I always tell bands any night that I played my opportunity, the audience I was able to reach was whoever showed up at the venue that night, which typically was like 25 people. That was my reach. I was like, your reach right now potentially is limitless. If you were to have something that for whatever reason people were really attracted to and it were to go viral or something like that. But even at the lowest level, you're probably going to reach more than 25 people with something that you're going to put out. So while it's a burden, it's also an opportunity. And just like with, you know, like you said, being able to jump into graphic design or video production or um, music production, like... I remember having my own little studio in my house where I was just had like, you know, uh, an eight track mixer that did go into a computer so I could do eight tracks at the same time. But I didn't have Kemper plugins and I didn't have like my guitar tones did not sound good. So there's like opportunity. Again, it's like it's a burden, but there's a lot of opportunity there and video stuff, too. Like we weren't walking around with HD cameras in our pocket at all times where we could actually make something that looks good. Everything looked like shit and totally. it was on tape. And then you had to figure out who can edit this and who can like take the tape and actually do something with it. So again, opportunity. So yeah, and graphic design too. I mean, like programs have come such a long way with graphic design, um, like from Coral or Corel draw to like, you know what we're using now. So it's like, it's, it's wild. Um, yeah. I mean, Photoshop just, released i think the whole adobe suite released a whole like ai update where you're barely even (laughs) doing the work at this point like there's a there's a commercial i don't know if you've seen this commercial that's been out going around for it but it's um so they'll they'll take a picture of like a landscape and then they'll select the ai tool and then they'll just draw a circle with their mouse in the center and type like 
cow. And then it just looks like a cow was in the photo <laughs> the whole time. Gives you a cow. <laughs> and then they stretch the photo bigger, like they stretch the bounds of the image bigger and yeah. just say like, it's like called generative fill. And it just okay. fills in with like a new version of that same field to make the photo. It's crazy what you that can do totally with it. And, you know, you still need the human creativity to do sure. it. And you know, this is not a I'm terrified of AI conversation by any means. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Yeah. It, it really is. There's so much more availability, but also because there's more availability, that means there's so much more, so much more expected of you and so much more to learn. Yeah. I'm not, I'm definitely one of those people that AI could be really beneficial. And I think about this just because I also work in the health system area, but like some of the machine learning and AI things that they're able to do to create new novel drugs that they can then put into clinical trials that normally would have taken probably years to get the science to that point. But the machine learning and AI has been able to do it. And if those drugs are, end up being successful in treating cancer or treating Alzheimer's or treating some of these other things, that's such a huge net benefit to society and to health in general, um, that why wouldn't you want that? It's like, there's that whole side of it that I think no one ever really talks about. And then there's like the Terminator side that everyone talks about, which I do think is, is real and should be acknowledged, certainly. Sure. But I think focusing, I've always been focusing my part on the, on the health side, uh, just because that's kind of what I'm interested in. And I think that the possibilities are, are limitless on that. And that's really exciting from like curing people from these horrible diseases. Absolutely. And I mean, this is, I think it was always inevitable that we would create some form of technology that is yeah. so scary, it could right. possibly, <laughs> you know, lead to the end of the human race. But I also think, you know, like, for example, the um, a bunch of heads of tech companies recently got mm -hmm. together and made a press release. They were like, hey, y'all need to stop with the AI right now. Yeah. Like, we've gone too far. However, I don't know how much to believe that because they're all also people who stand to lose money if AI gets really right. successful <laughs> right, and right. billionaires like their money. So, right. right, exactly. Especially if you've got if you've carved out a nice position for yourself. Yeah, what people do naturally is they try to hold on to that position. That's what that's what everything is about. So, yeah, it's funny, and, and I'm sure there's certain people where like that's coming from a real genuine place and that's real. And yeah, and there's people who are trying to keep their spot and they don't want to lose their spot there definitely needs to be like some sort of ethics around it that hasn't really been discussed it's just moved so fast and it's going to continue to move fast that it's going to be really hard to build an ethics framework around it for sure absolutely i mean that's and that's any industry that moves super yeah. fast i mean look at like nicotine vapes and how yeah. terrible they are and yeah. we're just now coming around to that but right. i mean i remember 10 years ago having one of those things and being like it's just water vapor what are you talking about? Uh, <laughs> I'm totally fine. Yeah, yeah, nothing's happening to me at all. <laughs> you know, um, why am I coughing up this black stuff? <laughs> why am I sick all the time? <laughs> That's awesome. What I wanted to ask was, how have things changed in the industry, in, in your relation to the industry? But I feel like we've really been talking about that most of the episode here. So I guess I guess what I'll ask is how has the role of an A&R changed? And even I'm sure because things move so fast right now, I'm sure that's even applicable from when you started at Revival to now. Yeah, I think, I mean, for me, I think the biggest change uh, that I see 
is in a lot of ways, and, and this probably wouldn't be surprising to other people that are in A&R or in management, because I think they would be like, yeah, of course, dude, that's like no, no brainer. But I think for me, maybe as someone a little bit on the outside coming in, I think the role of A&R almost as like contract psychotherapist is much more than I would have anticipated. And not to say that in a bad way, honestly, I'm not even saying that in a negative way. I'm saying it that there's a lot of pressures, a lot of expectations, a lot of comparison because everyone's metrics are surfaced and everyone can see what everyone is doing. Whereas like when I was playing, I didn't worry about, and I didn't know what some bands monthly streamers were because that wasn't a thing. I didn't worry about like what their sales were because they were just selling stuff out of their van. Like no one knew what their sales were really. They didn't know what their sales were. Let's be real. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So I think that shift to where all metrics are surfaced and all decisions are based on metrics, I think has been the hardest part, not just for me in my role, but for me as like a fan of music, I think for me as a fan of like art in general, I think that's been really hard. And I mean, this has always been art as commerce. So like, don't get me wrong. It's not like, you know, I think bands that are just super creative and innovative, but they can only bring one person to a show deserves, you know, some huge accolades. That's, no one would have jobs. But I do think that there's a little bit of an overemphasis on some of this vanity stuff. And I do think there's a little bit of an over over evaluation of acts based on some of these things, not necessarily in terms of like what their value is, but maybe in terms of like their impact or maybe cultural significance or absolutely just like their ability to be a trailblazer or their ability to be innovative. And I think all of us originally probably got into this because there was some artist that was really inspiring to us or that we were really excited about, or we were like, damn, these guys are crazy. Like they're doing the best thing. We didn't necessarily worry about what their monthly listener accounts are. And I feel like now I'll, I'll run into people and they'll be like, oh, that band's like a whatever. They've got like 7,000 monthly listeners. And I was like, okay, well, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're good or not. It means that people may not have found them. It means that people may not know what to do with them. Yeah. Uh, it, it may mean that maybe they're still working through some of this stuff, but it feels like you get one very small sliver of a shot to be relevant. And then people make up their mind based on a metric. And then your career is like over. And I think as an A&R, that's really discouraging. Sure. And I think it's detrimental to the creative process. And I think it's detrimental to growth in general. So I don't know if I'm answering the question correctly, but it's like, that's the biggest change that I see is the is the reliance on that. And I again, I completely understand it. We have to evaluate people, especially when we're trying to make decisions that are financially like, is this going to be financially successful? We have to pay our mortgage. We have to. We can't all do it for the love of the game. It can't just be that. There has to be some monetary part. But I do think that there's a little bit, I would like to see a little bit more leeway, I think, on especially artists early in their career before decisions were made. And same, I think with this, you'd probably say the same with producers or, or anything like that, that like, Absolutely. this guy may be new in this producer role and maybe he's trying to work up the credits and he just needs someone to take a chance on him. And then he can, he'll be able to prove his worth because I know it's there. I'd like to see a little bit more of that spirit, I think. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, I think the, the name of the game there is metrics are not telling of potential. Yes. Correct. They are a really good tool to see where someone is at this second. 
Yes. And that and that is not relevant yesterday and it's not relevant tomorrow. Right. But exactly. Yeah, I mean they you can't look at someone's numbers on TikTok and see what they're going to be from that. You have right. that's a that's the intrinsic feeling and that's what makes an A and R good at their job. In in the more traditional sense, I guess. Yeah, right. Being able to kind of separate that. But I, yeah, I feel like, cause I'll even talk to, you know, randomly, let's say I'm at a show and like, I run into some people and I'll just be talking to them and they'll, they'll be like music people. They'll be like plugged in people that maybe not working at a label mm-hmm. and they'll like talk to me about these metrics, like Spotify metrics. And I want to be like, don't you just like enjoy music? Like, do you, do you enjoy this? Like, does this make you feel something at all? Or are you just like, because if, if it doesn't, like, why are you, why are you doing this? Yeah. I, I don't know. It's really hard for me when fans start getting into the metric game. Like you either like music, you either like what someone's putting out or you don't. Yeah. Like if you, if you want to be a fan of numbers, like let me introduce yeah. you to statistics. Yeah. <laughs> There's plenty of great. And, and again, this is not to be a shit talker on statistics or metrics or, or their value, because I always feel like we maybe have gone to that point where, yes, they're incredibly useful, but I feel like there's been a, like, it, it's a, a, over the, over the edge, a little bit on the over-reliance or sure. like almost um, treating it as gospel type of place. And I'd like to, I just want it to be a little bit more in balance, I think, yeah. where it's part of the picture, but it's not the picture. Yeah. It's, it's judging a movie by its trailer. Yeah, if you will. <laughs> right, exactly. Yes, Which as exactly. someone who never, ever, ever watches trailers for anything, I would never do. Um, right. <laughs> I have a good friend of mine who's like that too. He's like, I won't watch the trailer. They give away too much of it in the trailer. I want to go in blind. I just want to see, I want to experience it. And I'm like, that's awesome. I can't, I don't have the, um, the personal, uh, what, what's the term? Uh, like I can't hold myself back. I don't have the discipline. Uh, okay. Like I'm like, I'll see it. I'll be like, I've got to see it. I've got to see it now. I get soup, but that's from an excitement standpoint. I'm sure. just like, so in it. Um, and then, yeah, it ends up being spoiled for me or something, but yeah. <laughs> and I'll watch trailers for, you know, I'll watch a trailer for the Barbie movie, but oh, I'm yeah. not, I'm not watching a trailer for Oppenheimer to be clear. Right. Right, right. You want to go in blind. Yeah, exactly. I get yeah. That. yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Sweet. Well, as we're as we're wrapping up here, I'd love to get sort of and I think this is another one of those things that naturally you've kind of answered through the conversation, but your state of the union on the industry. Yeah. Where do you think, you know, what's your current take on the industry? Do you think we're in a good spot? Do you like where we're heading? Etc. I think uh, there's a, and I, I don't know what this looks like, but I do think there's a huge shift coming. And the, and the way I quantify that is I always look at what a business is investing in as that being the guiding principle of probably where they see things. I feel like, for example, Spotify is really hard pushing and investing in podcasts mm-hmm. and investing in these things that are not necessarily music related. And so that tells me that it's a little bit on shaky ground, that the people who are uh, the deciders feel that the value is, the greater value is in the podcast medium, maybe long-term over music, or maybe they just look at music as something that is a, is a nice baseline that they always have, but that podcast is where they can really make a jump. So I think, I do think another shift is inevitable probably within the next five to 10 years that a lot of the platforms that we're on either are not relevant anymore or they look vastly different from what they look like right now. 
And I think that's actually a good thing because I do think there's an opportunity from an artist standpoint, well, just like what the writers are going through right now with striking to try to get um, a better share. I think that next shift may reset this a little bit and may open up some opportunities for a little bit more of a better revenue share for everybody. And so I look at it as, as a potential positive. So I'm I'm optimistic on it, but I'm optimistic in it when it's in its slightly different form, um, whatever that looks like. And and I'm not sure, and I'm not going to try to predict what that looks like or or who the players are in that or or what what that's going to be. We know music will be around. I think people crave live in-person experiences. That's never going to go away. But I think the way in, in which music is shared, um, the way in which we uh, digest it at home, I think has a lot of different. Um, variables and and it will end up in a lot of different ways happening in 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 the near future. Um, totally, yeah. but I I think more than anything I'm optimistic on it just because I think people crave personal connection. They crave being around other people and sharing experiences. And so I think from the live music standpoint, I'm like I feel great about this um, and its potential to just continue to grow. I love the idea too of bands maybe doing these shorter runs where it's a little bit more regional. They don't get maybe as burned out. They can balance their life a little bit better. Uh, maybe they're doing two or three weeks instead of doing 10 weeks, uh, you know, at a time. They can maybe do some things that are a little bit more special, a little bit more relevant to that very specific moment um, and, and elevate the experience for everyone. So I think there's, I think it's really good there. I just think some of the other industries or like the technology is telling us that podcasts is a little bit more where the money is right now. And so something else will come along, I think, and, and figure out the right way to monetize music and, and do it in a way, way, hopefully that's ethical and fair. Absolutely. And the, the 18 to 20 year old that we were talking to at the beginning of the episode, one of you is going to be the people who yes. is going to be the person who <laughs> ushers in that change. So um, yeah, if that's be you, amazing. please give us a call before it yes. hits market. <laughs> right. Let me invest in your company <laughs> yeah. right now, please. I don't have a lot of money, but whatever I can scratch together, I would love to invest and, and be a guinea pig for you and uh, test out your product or whatever, via demo, whatever, and give you my input, whatever you need. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. Well, um, before we wrap up here, is there anything that you want to plug? Anything you want to send to people in the direction of? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the biggest thing is like, if you're in a band and you're, you're at that spot where you're, you're considering a label, you're wondering about if you should consider a label, um, you're thinking about a label, like even if you're interested in us or not, like send me an email. Uh, I'm always open to talking with bands, even again, like if there's nothing in it for either one of us, except for just kind of talking. So I, that's the biggest plug. I would say, reach out, like we'll, let's have a conversation. There's no strings attached. You don't have to, I'm not on the hook for anything, neither are you. It's just two people talking. Um, and then, you know, from the label side, I think we've had a year that's been a good reset year for us. We, we've changed distributors. We're kind of trying to get a new reset going. We purposefully kind of planned this year to be pretty quiet, honestly, with not a lot of releases. We've just done a couple of singles here and there, but we're really starting to rev up and, and look at a lot of things coming up in, in 2024 and 2025. So I'm really optimistic on all that. I think you'll hear a lot more coming from us, but this has been a nice year too, to just do a little bit of a reset for ourselves move our catalog over, get some things aligned. And um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to to what we've got going on and, and where I think we can grow with it with uh, with the right artists. So that's what I would say. Amazing. 
Sweet. Well, thank you so much for coming on. All right. Thank you. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to something about the Beatles, now on Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts.